tip out there for everyone. Don't ask about the pentagram on the wall of any pub you go into. It's not a good idea. Mm -mm. No answer there. So yeah, basically. Survival tip. Yeah, that that is definitely a survival tip. Horror Movie Survival Guide is a weekly podcast where two unlikely gorehounds delve into our horror movie notebook from college, which meticulously kept track of every film we watched in the horror section of our local video store in our quest to survive and to ensure we end up as the final girl. Join Julia and Marion as we revisit the classic and obscure horror VHS we viewed and logged in our notebook. Breaking them down one by one, geeking out about all of the ghastly minutiae, and ultimately illuminating the path to survival. Oh! Hey everyone! Here we are, it's Horror Movie Survival Guide. <laughs> this is the first podcast from Indie Popcorn, recording here at the Circus. I am Julia. Uh, there's not more to that? I thought there was going to be like, I'm Julia the <laughs> And something. then I'm waiting for you to say, and I'm Marion. Oh, okay, okay. Um, and I'm Marion. Usually you're so quick on that. I know. No. I, it just really sounded like you were going to say something else. So <laughs> sorry, I just ruined it that time. No, that's good. Um, so this is episode 21, and uh, we're going to be talking about John Landis's 1981 film, American Werewolf in London. Yeah. This episode is called See You Next Wednesday. Yes. Which, if that doesn't make sense now, it will make sense soon. It will. It will make sense. Why don't we just tell them now? Uh, see you next Wednesday is a uh, in John Landis joke, in which uh, there is always a film within a film, or it is there some way or somewhere in his film. See you next Wednesday. Um, there you are. And in this case, it's uh, oh, it's like the best porno movie ever. <laughs> yeah. It's the most John Landis porno movie. It of all is time. something um, crazy British, like kind of sixties porno. Movie. Anyway, we'll get to that part, but. Um, But yes. Um, Oh, and the tagline, um, the director of Animal House brings you a different kind of animal. Doesn't he? Doesn't he, though? Yeah. No, he does. He actually does. This kind of, this will begin like a series that we're doing, which is sort of horror comedies, which is not done a lot. And I feel like is the big, the the one that's kind of the most easiest to screw up in a lot of ways. It's hard to pull off. And, And some of the films that we'll be talking about in this round. Kind of don't pull it off yeah, very well. Yeah, um, but 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 they're interesting. There's they something in there, and I feel like in sort of doing this series, I was able to kind of put my thumb on I think what makes it work and not work for me. Okay. Anyway, um, but I do think American Wolf in London is a good one that really does it really well. Okay. So um, what works for you and what doesn't work? Well, I feel like, and the the beginning of this movie is a is a good example of it. Um, you know, basic premise is that, you know, two American college students are going to go backpacking around London and they're going to cross the moors when, you know, you shouldn't cross the moors at right. night. Um, and one of them's horribly attacked. And to start off with, I think that our two leads are David Naughton and Griffin Dunn. Um, who are awesome. Who are awesome, who play Jack and David. And they have great chemistry at they the beginning really, really do. of this movie. It's a delight to watch. It is really. Like, the nothing more fun than watching two actors have fun together. Yeah. Because you feel like... if, like, you can tell one's kind of, like, trying to make the other one screw up. Totally. And then it's just delightful. Yeah. No, because you do get the sense that they are just genuinely just, you know, shooting the shit, being friends, being goofy, and, like, razzing each other and, like, all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of chemistry there. But what I enjoy about it... So you take something that's kind of already fun about life anyway, like, you know, on a trip with your friends and having a good time. And if you have that friendship and that friendship suddenly finds itself in a scary situation, you would 
it would kind of be funny a little bit because in order to get out of this, like, oh, this is really scary, you would kind of make jokes with that person, like, oh. And I, you think how many times, like, we've done that in general where you just kind of see an alley and you're like, look at that, look at that. That's ridiculous. That thing is so terrifying. That thing, And so the humor from this movie starts being born out of that place rather than the filmmaker telling you, oh, this is, we're going to, like, sort of tongue-in-cheek horror or we're going to satirize horror or we're going to, you know, like, it starts from a place that feels really grounded to me. Right. Um, whereas, you know, even when they, they go to this pub after a while and everyone sort of does the, the moment where like they come in and it's like record scratch and everyone sort of turns and looks at them and they kind of joke about that moment in a right. way that is like realistic and fun. And, and so it's kind of, I think having a horror comedy that's born out of a situation that seems pretty natural, it right. seems kind of natural to find sort of scary situations a bit funny, um, and have the comedy come from there rather than like ridiculous sound effects or right. wacky songs or I don't know, you know. Yeah, well, I think, you know, it's important. I think what directors often, I don't know why it, it wouldn't be number one on your list, for, but like having the main characters be believable mm -hmm. and especially having their relationship be believable because, you know, in a horror movie, if there's a group of friends, several of them will die. Mm -hmm. And so like if you don't care about those people and yeah. if, you, if the if the characters don't, interact in a way that feels realistic and mm -hmm. they feel very scripted or they feel like mm -hmm. they're people who clearly didn't know each other before they showed up on set and now right. they're just like acting like they're buddies. Right. It's a totally different thing. Yeah. And I think Griffin Dunn and J David Naughton do such a great job of making you not only like those characters, mm -hmm. but really like their friendship. Yeah. And like, and, and it just be, be, it feels real. Yeah. And that's what makes it so great. Yeah. That you care about them. Mm -hmm. You care about, I also think what I like at the beginning about this movie is it's unclear who the leader is, like who's the leading man in this film, because they are so they're kind of as a pair, you get them as a pair immediately. So, you know, one of them's going to go, but you don't really know which one it is mm -hmm. necessarily. And also you don't know when it's going to happen. And the movie kind of spends, I feel like 10 or 15 minutes, just like walking around with these guys, these two lovable, you know, before they start hearing the, the you know, the howls and running and whatever, and you don't know which one's going to get it. So I feel like when Griffin Dunn does get it in a horrific werewolf attack, uh -huh. that is something else. Um, it is kind of shocking. And it kind of reminds me a lot of sort of the Janet Lee death in Psycho, where it's everything's kind of built up like she's going to be our main girl. Mm -hmm. And then it's like insta death and terrible death. And, you know, and you have that moment where you're like, oh, 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 okay. Like that's, that's, that's how we're doing this. Can we talk about the alternate reality version of this film where, uh, David Naughton gets eaten. David Naughton gets eaten and Griffin Dunn is the werewolf. Nothing against David Naughton, but I would totally be into that. Yeah. Like I really, yeah, I do. I have no problem with it. I, and it's not, and it, again, it's not a slam on either one of them. Cause I think they're both equally engaging guys in this movie. Um, but I think it's to John Landis's credit to cast such like, you know, fun, charismatic guy, not taking themselves too seriously, kind of heroes of the movie. And just, you know, this terrible circumstance falls upon them. And they're just like, I mean, it's crazy. It's funny, too, because I feel like even after... So Jack gets attacked by a werewolf and is basically torn apart. Yep. And it's it's pretty bad. Mm -hmm. Like, it's pretty... The, the screams that Griffin Dunn has is like the werewolf's on top of him. And he's like, oh, my God. What? Like, just, you know. I like it when, the, when they don't know what it is yet. And he's just like, David, what the fuck? Is that? Yeah, I know. I do like that too. Yeah. And also I just like when before the attack happens where they're like, well, let's run this way. No, it's coming from this way. Let's turn around. Like, the, you know, like sort of all the stuff you, you would do with your friend where you're like, mm, how do we get out of this? This is really bad. Um, but he gets attacked and then David Naughton is saved at the last minute by like the villagers who had previously kicked him out of the pub. 
And when he wakes up, like, you know, a few weeks later, he is sad about Jack's death, but handles it remarkably well. Is still kind of like, what? No, huh? Like, but we were attacked by an animal, but, you know, mm-hmm. seems kind of disoriented, but not, I don't know. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not, there's still kind of this like light touch a yeah. little bit, I think specifically with the horror comedy that doesn't, it doesn't mean that that didn't happen or he isn't sad about his friend, but it's not quite like it, the whole movie is down and right. now we lose that sort of lightness that we had at the beginning and it just kind of keeps going and I think it kind of really works. Well, I, it's amazing how much, how well John Lannis is able to put horror and comedy together in the same, like there's, mm-hmm. there's movies that do horror comedy where it's like, here's a scary bit, here's a funny bit, here's yeah. a scary bit, here's a funny Like they're bit. paying lip service to each one as they're right, going. Right, but this is like dark and funny at you know no, all simultaneously, the same, simultaneously yeah all, all um, the way through i can i just i would just like to give a shout out to the orderly in the hospital who i really really enjoy the one who comes in with his little like tray and does his little like good morning oh Here, yeah, yeah, here's yeah. your breakfast and like points it out and he has a quote that i like he says i'm an orderly not a bleeding psychic i push things around damn it the, the actually you know the other thing jumping back again when they go to the pub, which has a cameo that Julie and I were very excited yeah. by. Um, I don't know if any of you cats are fans of the seminal 1980s uh, British show, The Young Ones. If you're not a fan, you should be because The Young Ones is amazing. It's, it's really great. Um, but Rick Mayle has a cameo in the pub that they go into as second chess player. Is that right? <laughs> he doesn't say anything. He literally just like stares and then stares. You might also know him as Drop Dead Fred. Correct. Oh, yeah. Drop Dead Friend. That's Let's true. not forget Drop Dead Friend. That's always, true. Always a good one. That's true. But I just, I, I love Rick Mayo. Rick. What if Rick Mayo was the main character? <gasps> Can you imagine him turning into a werewolf? <laughs> I feel like he would have to be eaten, though. I feel like he would have to be Jack in the situation. He, he's not ever going to be a leading man? I, no, not that. But he's just, he's like so much. Yeah. I just, I don't know how the re- I mean, I feel like his werewolf pr- transformation would be terrifying. It would be like, like, it, like, could you imagine like him as Rick and the young ones who's like the most spastic yeah. character on television, like uh-huh. turning into a werewolf and no. going bananas? That would be so crazy. Um, so I did enjoy that. But there was another lesson to be learned that the that our heroes did not follow, which is when you go into um, an English pub in like the middle of the moors and everyone stops talking the minute you walk in and you sit down and there's a pentagram on the wall. Mm-hmm. Don't ask about the pentagram. Don't ask like Don't what's ask like what's going on there. What's that about? Hey, y'all, let's talk about it. And like Jack really wants to talk about it. And you're like, no, no, don't no like that. I mean, you can maybe keep having your like finish your drink and or you know maybe have some. Uh, but here's the thing, I don't go, but like because they don't they 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 that that was like that gets them chucked out of that pub. Right. Asking about that. Mm-hmm. But the but the British the British doctor comes later and asks about it, and they're just like, oh, you know, it's been there forever. Right, we but because they're there. they're Americans and he's British, uh, you know that's the deal. Uh, come that's on, a, that's a hundred percent the deal. Like come you know, I mean, this, this is like tribalism. Like this is you know. I know Americans are like the worst, but we are kind of the worst. we are the worst. Yeah, um, and so fair play, but also just you know, tip out there for everyone: don't ask about the pentagram on the wall no. of any pub you go into. It's not a good idea. Mm-mm. No answer there. So yeah, basically, so, sur- survival tip. Yeah, that is, that is definitely a survival tip. Um, so David wakes up in the hospital, um, and that's when he meets his foxy nurse. Alex Price. Yes. Jenny Agatha. Yes. Uh, the, the fantasies of, of many a young lad. No, totally. I mean, early 80s nurse, she's pretty much it. She's pretty Is much she it. ever in Doctor Who? She feels like a Doctor Who kind of person to me. That's a good question. I don't know. I don't think so. I, don't, I, I know she wasn't in the old series. I don't know if she's in the new series. I could see her as like a companion. Totally. Things to IMDb later. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, she basically walks in and has sort of taken it uh she's kind of is interested in david david naughton 
Um, Who and, wouldn't be? I mean, they're both. I mean, him and Griffin, Griffin Dunn are both pretty foxy. No, they are pretty foxy. Um, and basically, kind of starts taking care of him. But she definitely has this sort of kind of, you know, they they are definitely kind of doing a sort of double act where like he's very like, hey, I'm an American and all the American stereotypes, and you're foxy, and we should do this thing, and very sort of like aggressive, and she's kind of very like prim and standoffish and like, British. you know, ve- yeah, very very British. Um, but we also meet the doctor who. Uh, takes care of David. And my favorite quote from this movie is one of the, what is the, in the doctor's office when we first are introduced to him. And he's like talking to his wife, um, like trying to get her off the phone so he can go deal with David Naughton. And he says, if I can survive Rommel, I'm sure I can survive another excruciating night with Roger Matheson. Um, <laughs> and I love that line, made me laugh out loud so loudly. Um, it's really, really great. Um, so Griffin Dunn appears to David. Yes. So, um, and David just thinks he's crazy. Yes. So Rick Baker did the effects for this film. Mm-hmm. I mean, all the shout outs to him. Yeah. Um, this won the first best makeup Oscar. Yeah. And deservedly so. Definitely. So when Griffin Dunn shows up, he is torn apart. So his face is all like fucked up, but he's like, but he's so cheerful and he's just very happy and yeah. hey, you know, you're, I'm dead now. And, uh, right. can I have some toast? Which again goes back to, I think, sort of going to sort of the realistic situation in the sense that you know, I, I don't feel like what's kind of fun and delightful about this whole sequence is not that like, oh, let's, we'll just make, you know, goofy music and whatever. It's like they were friends in life. So if he comes back in death because he's in limbo and his face is horrible and whatever, he's still going to be like, hey, buddy, can I get some of that breakfast? What's going on with you? You know, yeah. he doesn't come back like I'm dead and haunting right. you. Like, he, you know, the friendship is still there. But it's just funny now because David Naughton's horrified by his appearance and also that he's seen his dead friend. And Griffin Dunn's like, well, like, why you got to be a downer? Like, let's just have this conversation. And you know. I feel like if you came back, I would be like, hey, wow. Even okay. if I looked horrible? I would. I would. I feel like you'd be more freaked out than I would be. Oh, no. I think I'd be okay. Oh, really? I mean, it, if it was, well. I you mean, know what I mean? You don't want to see that really, but. And you know, wouldn't you have you. the like, am I crazy moment? I feel no, like that's what David's I, no, thing I, is. No, I don't think I feel, I feel like I wouldn't. I feel like really? if you came back and you were like, I'm totally in limbo, like, look at me. I'm uh-huh. totally in limbo and like you have to kill yourself because uh-huh. if you don't, I'm going to be in limbo forever. Right. Which is what Griffin Dunn tells Which David Nottingham yes, to do. He, he's died an unnatural death and yeah. now they have to sever the wolf's blood, bloodline. Yeah. Um, I feel like if you came back, I would I would believe it. Huh. And I, that's something I've learned from watching a horror movie. No, so you're you right. You should believe it immediately. You should other, believe it immediately. the more you wait, like it's like ticking time bomb. That's true. Yeah. I feel like I would play a little bit into the ticking time bomb where I think I'd be like, but, but me, but also, but yeah, like rationalize. But you believe me, right? Yeah, but I think I would still have that appalled, like, sure. thing one scene, you look like that, but thing one, like, we, I went to your funeral, like, that happened, right. you know, and then, hi, here I am. I think I'd still be, like, scared, and I don't understand, and, you know, mm-hmm. all the things. But I would hope I would, like, get it together sure. quick enough to deal whatever has to be dealt with, which in this movie is interesting, because you would think David Naughton would be like, okay, my dead, mangled friend just came back to life. I mean, let's, there's some stuff going on here. But he kind of doesn't. He's mm-hmm. so he's really like, I think, which is the undoing of this character, like a lot of other characters, head in the sand. Denial. I'm just crazy. Yeah. Or it's like post-traumatic stress or whatever. Like, I definitely didn't see that. And then as the film kind of goes on, Griffin <laughs> comes back a few times and he gets progressively grosser as mm-hmm. he comes back, which mm-hmm. I really enjoy. Um, but uh, still, che- still cheerful. Still very cheerful. Just still like, come on, I'm bored. I don't want to be in limbo anymore. Um 
he's really trying to explain to David not what's going on. And he just doesn't want it to be true. Right. Like he's like, you, you were bitten. Like, it, you know, you have the werewolf blood. It's coming for you. And he's like, but Foxy nurse and my life. Right. And I don't want it to be so. And like, really not to like, it, like basically it, it's time for werewolf transformation. Do I feel like David Naughton's really starting to like take it seriously for what right. they have no, to do? He, he doesn't. And that, that's part of like his character is that, you know, he, until the very end really has, has doesn't really accept it. He doesn't accept, I feel like one, the first time he transforms and then comes out of it and yeah. realizes a bunch of people have been killed. And because that's when he gets like real right. bananas and is like running around, like kill me, you know, going nuts and stuff. Um, but I also like this movie does its own sort of spin on the werewolf legend. Like there's no sort of silver bullets right. and all this kind of stuff. Um, it's that, you know, you, once you've been bitten, I mean, obviously, you know, you would have to kill yourself before you transform in order to like save everyone. But the fact that your victims come back to haunt you, who you killed as a werewolf mm -hmm. and the, that they're in limbo, they didn't just die. Like they're in limbo and they're there to torture you and haunt you. And that's part of the curse of being a werewolf. It's not just on the full moon, you have a terrible Friday night. It's on top of that. You carry around sort of the souls of the people whose life you is, you've prematurely ended in this, like you just keep gathering them. And presumably if you are a werewolf for like a year, you would just have this entourage of people that nobody else can see, but you haunting you. And that's kind of a cool idea. That's an amazing idea. Mm -hmm. And one that would drive me to kill myself pretty damn quick. Right. Yeah. I'd be like, okay. Done with that. Yeah. Dead people, Thank you. Dead people follow me around everywhere I go. Horribly yeah. mangled. Some, you know, some, you don't know. And you also have to see them the way they were when they died. Right. So you have to see them. Or in Griffin Dunn's case, the longer they are dead, they're just going to get grosser and grosser. So there's just going to be a bunch of skeletons following you around eventually? Well, because that's Griffin Dunn at the end. At the right. end of this movie, there's a perhaps not fully convincing um, skeleton version of him like talking in the porno theater sure. to David Naughton. And you're like, wow, you've only been dead like a few weeks, you know? That's bad. You know? And it you terrible. Um, well, this is what we talked about with Silver Bullet where like the every werewolf movie kind of has their own spin on it like mm -hmm. the rules are with like specific within each film i think the good ones are i feel like there's you and i've both seen a lot of terrible ones where they're just kind of unclear yeah or kind of cobbling together some of the classics and right. and so i like that you know there's sort of how you become a werewolf is very traditional in this movie yes but what the details of the curse really entail are more like he yeah. kind of adds a little something extra to it. And I think that's the key to a successful horror movie as well, especially when you're doing something that's about traditional villains like vampires or zombies or whatever. It's just like that little something extra to yeah. make it extra terrifying. Um, um, and speaking of extra idea. terrifying, let's talk about that transformation sequence because man, oh man. Yeah. So this movie sets the bar as far as werewolf transformation goes. And I think everyone kind of knows it. Yeah, for sure. And everybody like, you know, you always get these stories from the werewolf movies that are like, oh, the suit didn't go right and we weren't really yeah. happy with it. And like, it's nothing because they know it's not as good as where America werewolf. Yeah. Um, it is crazy. So uh, David Naughton has been waiting in the house all day and he doesn't, we don't know. Is he going to change? Is he crazy? We don't and know. And he's been having these dreams. There's a lot of like wolf cam dreams oh, where yeah, it's him like him like running, running naked. naked through the woods <laughs> or it's like point of view of him like running naked through the woods. So it's that thing where the transformation is like in your blood, pulsing in your brain before it physically manifests itself. But eventually, can I just thank John Landis for as much David Naughton nakedness? There as is we a can. lot of I'm, David Naughton nakedness. I'll take it. <laughs> I mean, no, I'm into it. Not opposed. Not opposed. But yeah, there is a lot. Uh, so he's been pacing around uh, Alex's apartment all day, waiting. Mm -hmm. We don't know. We don't know. Mm -hmm. Reading, trying to read, can't read, can't eat. Right. Um, and then also montage, like lots of like uh, that's this is when probably like the third or fourth 
song that something to do with the moon comes in. Um, I think John Landis has decided that every song, almost every song that is, you know, Bad Moon. Right. Um, I'm trying to think of what the Blue other moon. ones. Blue Moon. Um, just everyone. And so, but, but not Moonshadow. But not Moonshadow. Apparently he asked Cat Stevens for Moonshadow and Cat Stevens said no, even though Moonshadow <laughs> is about dismemberment. So what are you going to say about that, Cat Stevens? I don't know. Like not into it. No, thank you. Um, I love I love how on on the on point the the moon songs are. I mean, that it's he just, just went there. it's and, a lot. And there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, directors that have kind of bitten off that style totally. a little bit that we can uh, yeah you know. So uh, so <laughs> David Naughton, um, the, I love that the 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 transformation sequence starts with him screaming. Yeah, and I yeah because there's no like oh you know you kind of. The shoulder twitches up, right. and you get a strange look on her face. Like it's he's, nothing. I think he's literally from, reading. Yeah. And then he's like, and just starts screaming. Zero to and, 60. And when I first saw it, I thought, oh, he's just like so frustrated from being cooped up all day. Right. Like he's just like, that's why he's screaming. <laughs> right. And then you're like, oh my God, no. Cause they, they, he does it in such a way that you're not sure. It's like, is he kidding? Yeah. Like, is he not kidding? And he's not kidding. He is not kidding. Um, and so, uh, this, incredible transformation sequence and my favorite bit i think in the entire film is that during his transformation in like the most horrible bone crunching spinal elongating craziness he looks up at mickey mouse and just uh, there's a shot of him looking at mickey mouse and for some reason that delights me that's just like you would be going through this and you would just be looking you're like oh it's fucking mickey mouse as you're like going through no and then again like i'm gonna be a broken record with this but i think that's what again it's sort of in a great moment of like successful horror comedy Mm -hmm. because yeah like if you were to turn into a werewolf in the middle of your apartment or somebody else's apartment i feel like there would be something you know your eye might catch something like Mm -hmm. that that's just so innocuous and out of place in this incredibly traumatic moment and that's funny and it but again it's sort of born out of the situation rather than director like just pasting on top comedy and and you and that scene you could have taken that shot out like it doesn't need mm-hmm. to be there mm-hmm. but it makes it so much better that no, it definitely. is there mm-hmm. because in the middle of a, the most horrifying sequence in mm-hmm. this film to just kind of hey guys just like yeah. pop it in there right brilliant but yet does not take away from what we're watching no. in terms of like the horror factor like mm-hmm. you're and again that like, sort of doing both simultaneously like you said earlier mm-hmm. like that's i think that's how you do it successfully um so yeah it goes on and on and it's definitely their version of it is just everything him just being in agony because he is being stretched his body is being stretched out to be werewolf. So mm-hmm. like the legs and the hands, that great hand shot yeah. where the fingers are growing mm-hmm. into claws. Like it's so good. And uh, so apparently Rick Baker and John Landis had a little disagreement about this werewolf because uh, Rick Baker wanted him to stand on two legs and John Landis wanted him to stand on four, which mm. I think is cool because most werewolves stand on two legs they do and stand are on two not legs. terribly scary. But when you have a wolf, that's just a fucking wolf. Right. Or like, like, run in that wolfy way yeah that i say i say john lattice made the right the right choice no i think you're right i think it depends on if yeah if your version of it is more sort of like wolf man or man wolf you know what i mean mm-hmm. and i think so often it's because it's a guy in a suit so they're like well they have to be bipedal but like in this kind it i think it is a lot scarier when it's all fours and it's a lot more i don't know animalistic and you feel uh, the sequence at the very end of this movie the wolf kind of looks like it's just kind of a giant dog. Mm-hmm. You can almost see how it would go undetected a little bit more. But when 
like in Silver Bullet, it's sort of like this eight foot tall man with, you know, biceps the size, you know, you're like, how has no one seen that? How mm-hmm. is that? Um, but yeah, yet, you know, it's definitely going to take a whole bunch of people out and it's going to be terrifying. So that's what David Naughton definitely does is he, you we know. have the great sequence of him in the subway mm-hmm. when he's, 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 yeah. the guy. It's so good. Which is real, which is, I feel like for people to see this movie and then take the, like the London tube by themselves at it. night. I think about it every time. Every time I'm in London, I have a tube stop and I'm like walking by myself by out of those hallways. I'm like, oh, hope there's not a werewolf going to come eat my face. Eat your face because it takes forever to get out of the tube. So yeah. that, guy, that guy is running for a bit. He tries his damnedest and sorry but, guy. And like those like huge escalators they have, it would take you forever. And I like that that's where he gets taken down. Uh-huh. It's like he makes it through all the tunnels and whatever. And then as soon as he has the giant escalator, it's like, oh man, I'm so screwed. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then he takes out that couple. Yes. and. And and the homeless guys, but we it don't does. see that because apparently it was it, out, right? it was too it, the audience freaked out or whatever however the werewolf killed the homeless guys it was yeah. too far oh okay too far. interesting too much too much Mr. Landis which makes me want to see it yeah I'm like how far did it go yeah because I think we were like did those guys get taken out did they not and then they later up. they yeah. show up and you're like oh okay they got taken out um so David wakes up naked yet again yeah ding um in a wolf enclosure at the zoo, uh-huh. right? Um, and then there's a really funny comedic sequence, which again, born out of sort of a somewhat so ridiculous situation. Um, because he's naked, he like steals some balloons from a little kid and like steals a jacket from a lady and just runs around the zoo like stealing things so he doesn't have to like, you know, walk around London naked and then makes his way back to the apartment um, and hears about the murders and, you know, Alex comes back and he just totally loses his mind. And one of the things that's interesting about Griffin Dunn coming back is not only does he come back to be like, yo, you're a werewolf, you're going to be a werewolf, but almost from the outset in that cheerful disposition, he keeps telling David, like, you have to kill yourself. Mm -hmm. Like, this is what's coming. Like, I mean, I'm so sorry. Like, I definitely got torn apart and I'm dead. So also be dead with me. So like we could be dead together, but also you have to, there's no way, there's no way else that this can end for you. Like you have to kill yourself. And you and and the, after these murders is when you recognize that David really sees that, and that I think is really interesting. He has that phone call to his parents, oh, okay, and he talks mm-hmm. to like his like little brother, and he's like, you know, tell mom and dad I love them, and you know all this kind of stuff. And he has like that. He has a pocket knife, and he like debates about slitting his wrist in the phone booth, and Alex is trying to help him. He's like, stay away from me, I'm crazy. And then he tries to get arrested mm-hmm. at Trafalgar Square, and like the cop won't arrest him, and so he's like, Prince Charles is a fag, and <laughs> says all these like insane things to like try and get arrested, and like nobody will believe him, and they just think he's crazy, and and that's how he ends up in the porno theaters, because he's trying to just get a moment to think. Um, but that's when he sees Griffin Dunn, now just a skeleton, and sees all the victims that he didn't remember killing, mm-hmm. torn who, apart. Who cheerfully give their suggestions. Who are like super British about it. Yeah. They're like like that couple. They're like, hello. Like, <laughs> just, you know, hi. hi, so great to meet you. My murder was terrible. Um, <laughs> but you're lovely. Um, and I and again, I think that's that's really interesting as far as like, you know, having, I feel like sort of sometimes these werewolf stories the leading character is very tortured by the curse. But at this point, I feel like he's more tortured by the fact of how he knows his life is going to end. Yeah. Rather than just like, oh, I'm a werewolf. Isn't that terrible? How can I beat the curse? Like, there is no beat the curse in this movie. Like, you recognize pretty quickly, like, David's probably going to die. Yeah. But he either should. by his own hand or by somebody else's. But, like, there's no... He really... I mean, honestly, he really should, after that sequence, kill himself. Right. Like he tries yeah. to. I know he tries yeah. to. But like you see what's happening and you see how it's just going to get worse and worse. And it's like you can either somebody else is going to take you out or yeah. you can take yourself out. And but like, I think that's what makes the character 
so interesting and sympathetic is because he has that moment in the booth where he's like, okay, okay, like I said my goodbyes. I just definitely murdered a bunch of people last night, so let's do this thing. And he can't because he's like a very young man, yeah. you know, and there's like the struggle with that where it's like, but but my life and stuff and whatever, but then also all the murders, but also, you know, um, and it's a great predicament to find a leading character in, especially one that you like so much because yes. you as the, as the audience, you're like, but I don't want him to die. Yeah. But also you definitely killed all those people last night. So mm -hmm. it's like your hero and your villain are the same character. And I think that's really great. Those are always the best. I those, think. Are, those are the best. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, he's at the porno theater watching See You Next Wednesday, right. which is John Landis's <laughs> porno, which is so great because they get interrupted by some dude who just like comes in and is like, yeah, who are you? Oh, sorry. Just leaves. Yeah. <laughs> Phone call, wrong number. It's just, it's really great. So David turns into the werewolf in the porno theater. Correct. Which is um, in Piccadilly Circus. Where we get my favorite sequence in this film. It's just unbelievable. Out of control. And my favorite thing is that it, during this sequence, Marion, I don't even think you realized you were doing it. You kept going, Jesus fucking Christ, John Landis. <laughs> You said it like three times. Jesus fucking Christ, John Landis. Because it's, it's so, so violent. It's really it's, violent. And it goes on. It kind of, it reminds me of um, that car chase in the Blues Brothers, you know, where it's like all the cars that just keep piling on top. Top, You're just like, okay, okay, we get it. If like, there's anybody who do, who knows a car crash, it's no, John Landis. No, it just takes it up like nine degrees. There, it doesn't matter what movie it is. It's just like, oh, the Blues Brothers, like Belushi Ackroyd comedy, nine million cars violently crashing into each other. He just doesn't care. No, that's what's great He just about wants to make it go boom. What I love about John Landis is he doesn't give a fuck. No, he really doesn't. And I have seen him talk a lot. <laughs> and he talk, he loves to talk. And I love to hear him talk. And he just will say whatever. And I yeah. love that about him. And he will do whatever, That's including funny. having someone just fucking ejected from the front yeah. of a car. So, so yeah. So David transforms in... So the police show up. David transforms in the theater. They try and bring down this, like, you know, metal you know, wall thing to kind of keep him in. He bursts out of it as a werewolf and then just wreaks havoc. And because he's like running around a Piccadilly circus, just like taking people out left, right, like cars are crashing, double-decker buses are swerving. And yeah, there's like a couple of crashes where like somebody T-bones another car and a guy is like ejected out the window through the windshield of another car. Yeah. And it's really it's graphic. Yeah, and, it's, really... and someone gets run over and someone gets like smushed through the plate glass window. And then another car like, you know, kind of skids out of control and there's a guy standing by his door and his, he's smushed like yeah. in between the two cars and it just goes on and on and on. And you're like, and then you just kind of cut to like werewolf running, people screaming. It's just mass panic and anarchy. Uh -huh. And, and then Marion's going, Jesus, fucking Christ, John I, I don't remember doing that. That's so funny. <laughs> um, but no, it's a lot. I stand by it. I stand by it. Um, but basically it leads up to Alex has like kind of wandered, has, has, you know, kind of figured out what's going on, has come to Piccadilly Circus and here's the chaos. And so David as the werewolf has been shot. There's also this Not other- shot yet. He's just like trapped down the alley. Well, he's trapped down the alley. But there's the thing that also gets said in this movie that the, the werewolf can only be killed by someone who loves them. That's like another... He just gets shot by police. Yeah, but it, what's interesting is that, and I've heard this sort of alternate theory, he goes down the alley and he is, and Alex is like, you know, trying to talk to him in werewolf form, which is never a good idea. No. Like, don't. Don't try and be like, hey. David's not there. No, no, they're gone. They're super gone. It's like you try, trying to talk to like the vampire version of your best friend. Forget about or, it. Or a zombie. Yeah. No, it's not. Yeah, it's like not, for Johnny. Like, yeah, no. It's not Johnny. Johnny's anymore. gone. It's never Johnny. Um, should be the name of a band. It's never Johnny. It's never Johnny. <laughs> it's never Johnny. Um, and uh, she tries to talk to him and they just unload on him. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have these one of these sort of the strangest endings where she sort of like closes her eyes and when she opens again, it's like naked David lying there. More, na more 
Or naked but David. But na- naked covered in blood, not as sexy. I mean, yeah. Not so much as like the running through the woods version. <laughs> um, but he's sort of like naked there. And then she just sort of drops her knees and cries. And then immediately like hard cuts to like some cheerful music and like credits. And like, that's it. And like, that's it movie. It's like, wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. Like, that's that's all you get. Um, I'm always a fan. If killing your main character wins points with Julia and just be like, hey, naked main character, dead. Mm-hmm. End of movie. Yeah. No, but there's no like, um, well, we're going to kind of wind this thing down. They're just I, like, he's dead. It's over. Yeah. Like, I like that. Like, I think like a lot of movies would do like the doctor coming up to like put his armor on Alex sure. to take her away uh-huh. and that would be the last shot. Yeah. And I'm glad he didn't do that. Or you'd get like some kind of sort of like one of those post-mortem scenes that they have like, like at the end of Psycho, you know, where it's somebody sort of analyzing what it all means and context and all yeah. this kind of stuff. And no, John Landis is thoroughly uninterested yeah, in that. No. Um, so like, and out later. Um, so we have uh, our rating system. Uh, so for this film, for uh, Gore Factor, we have uh, one through five. One, not enough blood to fill a Dixie cup. Two is a puddle of blood. Three is enough blood to gross out the average viewer. Four is a bathtub of blood. And five is run for the barf bag. And we gave American Wolf in London a four for yeah. Gore. I would stand by that. Just uh, for which the car is a, bath, crash alone. a bathtub of blood. I think I think it should go a five, man. This, Do you? This is a gory fucking movie. Maybe, but I feel with like the, I, the homeless guy deaths. It would be a five. I think you're probably right. I mean, I definitely had some lookaways, but I've had more lookaways. Yeah. I feel like that's how I judge these things for me. Is how many like, times the did I stop watching the movie? You don't, you don't know to look away, and you just see it, and you're like, oh, no, yeah, that's true. But uh, Griffin Dunn's death, I definitely looked away some of that because okay. it just it went on a bit, mm-hmm. um, and he just looks so horrible <laughs> in this movie. Um, movie rating is zero to five chainsaws. One, if you're desperate. Two, barely qualifies as a horror film. Three, seen worse, seen better. Four, not too shabby. And five is fantastical. Fives all the way around. Julian yeah. Marion in this. Double fives. Definitely stand by that. Definitely stand by that. Yeah. It's, um, it sets the bar. It does. Yeah. And, and if it really you're gonna is. Watch a, I'm sorry. If you're going to watch a werewolf movie, this is the werewolf movie to watch, in my opinion. And also if you're trying to find a successful horror comedy. Because yes. I know a lot of people think those two genres are very counterintuitive to be sort of paired together. But it's in this movie, it's really not. Like this movie, without the comedy elements, would be very dull. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the comedy stuff keeps the pacing, keeps the characters interesting, kind of keeps it moving along. But then you've got all the horror fun stuff of like werewolves and gore and transformation sequences. And um, it's good stuff. Five chainsaws. Five chainsaws. That's what I say. Yeah, do it. Um, so thank you for listening. You can find us on all the stuffs. Um, we are on Instagram. We are on Facebook. We are on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And uh, we also like uh, reviews if you're into the iTunes game. Yeah. Some reviews on iTunes are really helpful for us and they help people find this podcast. So if you like it, a couple sentences on the iTunes would be lovely. Yeah. If you're feeling it. If you're you know, feeling it. If that's the kind of person you are. <laughs> Super awesome person. Um, so next week. Yes. Next week we talk about uh, 1988's Waxwork. Which maybe you're like, Mer, what is this movie? I don't know, but it's a horror comedy. We're going into our horror comedy month. We are. Here in uh, December. Mm-hmm. And uh, good. Yeah, it's it interesting. It's, it's worth chatting about. Hey, Zach Galligan and Dan Ashbrook. That's all you need to I say. I know. And I feel like everyone's Zach Galligan. They just think gremlins. Yeah. But we got something else here for you. We do. Yeah. So join us next week for Waxwork. Yeah. See you guys. 